Well, Mike's on. I'm ready to go. I'm a nervous wreck. <laughs> you know, I just want to tell you guys, I thank you so much for my, um, my friends and my family that, that came here today to support me. Um, that really means a lot. And um, it's really an honor and a privilege to even get up here <clears throat> and attempt to um, try to go through the Word of God and that you allowed me to do that. Um, it's interesting. I've got, you know, my church family here, which is a dear group of people. And we're small, but there, there's some uh, true um, good people here that are deep in the Word and studying the Word. And, and, uh, and I just, it's precious to me for them to meet with my friends and my family um, uh, as well today. So uh, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate that. Um, if you will, I'm going to start out in prayer. Um, if, so let me just take a moment and, and uh, pray and, and, and we'll get started. Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to come to you this morning, Father, and um, thank you for this opportunity um, for me to stand here and uh, represent uh, your word. I just pray, Lord, that you'll forgive me for my sins and wipe my sin slate clean, um, enabling, enabling me to start afresh uh, from this moment forward. And... Um, Lord, I pray that you give me the necessary words uh, to speak, and um, I pray that you'd speak through me, and that it wouldn't be of me, that it'd be of you. And I pray that you would cause me to stumble upon any error that, um, that I might approach. And Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you've given us the most wonderful gift of all the precious gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, who died on the cross to pay us or to, or to pay for our sins, paying our sin debt in full, giving us the ability to accept you as our Lord and Savior by knowing that we're sinners and that we need a Savior and knowing that he's the one, the only one that's qualified. And he did it. He paid the price for all of us. I thank you so much for that, Father. He died and rose again on the third day and now sits on the right hand of God the Father pleading our case. In Jesus Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> um, let me get my notes here. This is either going to be, it's going to take just a small amount of time, or it's going to take a whole lot of time. <laughs> I've got way more material here than I know what to do with, uh, and just the study and preparation, uh, it seems like it continues to do that kind of thing to me. But uh, Fisher held me accountable before I got up here and said, Dad, don't go over. <laughs> so, I said, all right, so I'll be looking at you, Fisher, give me those looks. Um, one of the things, don't you just love Christmas time? You know, I was thinking about Christmas, and um, it, is a, it is a precious time. And, um, you know, you, you think about um, give the giving of gifts and, um, and the receiving of gifts. And, um, you know, I remember Christmas, many great Christmases, you know, and I'd just be so excited about, you know, this or that, and, uh, and just think, wow, what a wonderful gift that was. And, be, you know, and I was so surprised. I remember one year I got a pair of dingo boots. 
I don't know if that made me a dingo or what, if I wanted to be a dingo, but uh, those were the coolest boots in, in, uh, in my mind. And, um, you know, and I remember a couple years ago here in Chattanooga, we had a, a white Christmas. You know, wasn't that a special surprise and a special gift? I mean, it just poured upon us. And, and, um, but a gift is something to think about, isn't it? Um, you know, it's something that's not earned. Um, it's something that's undeserving. It's something the giver enjoys giving. And um, it's something to think about. I think it's something we take for granted sometimes, what the true meaning of a gift is. Um, but today's message <clears throat> is, you know, I've titled this, uh, Where Do We Go From Here? Um, so I'm going to start out by challenging us and everyone that might be listening today through a series of questions. Um, and one question would be, what if God spoke to you? Um, what if you could meet with him? And see him. What if then he proved to you his love for you, his might, and his purpose, and his existence? What if he gave himself for you in many ways? One way in the form of an instruction manual, a manual free of error, recorded in history as examples, witnessed time and time again by historians even historians that rejected um, who he was, even historians that didn't believe in God. It was recorded. And these examples that are in this manual, so to speak, have depth to them. Which with, within each story, there's examples that form pictures. And what if that book was full of life and light in a living word, in a book. Well, that, that manual and that book, it truly exists right here in the Word of God. It's known as the Bible. But um, it's interesting, this Word is God. And there's power in this word. So earlier I said, what if God proved to you his might and his existence? And what if God gave his life for you that you may have a way to receive eternal life, overcoming death as we know it? That you may then know your eternal destination. That you may then apply it and apply it now. And live life in peace through this offering or through his offering. Would you look into it? Maybe sounds like too much to handle or too complicated. But what if it were simple? Simply receiving this assurance as a gift, a gift of eternal life. And what if it were so simple that all that was necessary is to hear these truths and simply believe upon them, thereby accepting them. As I said, I had a series of questions that, in hopes that, that it would challenge. 
Whether you're a believer listening in today on the web or whether you're an unbeliever, I would challenge you to ask yourself, what is your spiritual belief? I challenge you to ask yourself the question. And note one thing. I didn't ask you, what is your religion? And so one might think that this subject is where we all have nothing in common. This, is my, this might be where we part ways. But whether you're a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, an agnostic, or an atheist, one of those believing in nothing... I can guarantee you, we as human beings all have three things in common. No matter who you are. The first thing is that we have in common, I'll call it point number one, is that life is short and then you die. I mean, even a 25-year-old today most likely would admit that he could possibly be halfway through his or her life. But I think we can all agree on that, that life is short and then you die. Point number two, life treats us all differently, but death treats us all the same. I think we can agree on that, can't we? I mean, some people are born rich, some are born poor, some are born healthy, some are born unhealthy. Some become rich and become poor, but life treats us all differently, yet death treats us all the same. I think we can agree on that. And point number three, as human beings, I can guarantee we all have this in common. We have all asked ourselves the question, where am I going to go when I die? Everybody has asked them that. If they'll be honest and be truthful with themselves, everybody's asked themselves that question. So here's another challenging question. What source of truth is your answer based upon? What is your answer? Are you safe? Your eternal destiny, that is? Do you have any real or any comfort in real hope? If what you were to believe were not true, would you even want to know the truth? By the way, for whoever's listening, you believe in something. Listen to what God says as we get into his word. And this moment could actually be the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, calling you, working on your heart, hoping you'll choose to receive his free gift. The question is, is do you believe in God? Do you believe? Believe in what? Do you believe I'm standing here talking to you right now? Do you believe the bench or that pew that you sat on before you sat in it, did you believe it would hold you up? If you didn't, I think you would have rejected it and most likely you wouldn't sit down there. So believing is really not that complicated. Man in his denominations and churches will complicate it, don't get me wrong. But the Lord in his mercy has made this a simple, 
a simple thing. Did you know that it's manifested in the hearts of man to worship and believe in something? That's why I said earlier, you believe in something. And in Romans 1.9, it states that because that which, and this is the word of God, this is the Lord God Almighty speaking, and it states, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So it's manifested in the heart of men to worship something. God's shown it to them. In fact, man even knows there's a God. He might say, I don't believe in God, and he might um, have all this intellect and, and all this uh, scientific responses, but man actually knows there's a God. Man will curse God. It's interesting to me, Interesting to me how if a man is a non-believer, he doesn't believe in God, yet he chooses to curse God. Even a Buddhist, he would, why didn't he curse Buddha? You notice he curses God. Man knows there's a God. So, God's word We'll go on to say in Romans 1.20, even if you've not been in this word, you can't really claim, I didn't know. I've never had a Bible. I've never heard these things. Romans 1.20 says, when this is God speaking, for the invisible things creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Man can say all, all that he wants to say. He'll be without excuse. Let's settle something up front. Are you settled in your own mind? You don't have to tell me about it. You don't have to tell a priest about it. But are you saved? Do you believe in God? So let's confirm that. I don't know if, you know, Jimmy, I don't know if I'm saved. How would I even know? What does that mean? Okay, I believe there's a higher power out there. Does that make me saved? And what does saved mean? Saved meaning saved, delivered from death. By overcoming death. Death in hell. And this is actually where life begins. It's where today's life application begins. It's where it all begins. You know, in Ecclesiastes 9.11, this is the Word of God speaking. He's speaking to us through this instruction manual. And there's no error in it at all. Not one jot, not one tittle, it says. Ecclesiastes 9-11 says, time and chance happens to them all. It also says, there's nothing new under the sun. So really, we can't claim, I didn't have a chance. Time and chance has happened to them all. 
Some basic things that I want to talk about today. Is, is about God. And did you know man is made in his image? To suggest man or man began as an ape is right out of the pits of hell. For the Lord himself says that man was made in his image, God's image. And God came to show us the way and delivered his son through Jesus Christ in the flesh. And what does that mean? In, you know, man, unlike animals, he has a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the word of God actually divides those three things up so you can understand them completely. But the body is pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, that's the flesh. That's my body. The soul, though, in the scripture says, that's who you are. If you said, hey, if I died today in two weeks, somebody said, who's that James Perry guy? It would be how you described me. That's who you are. It's the soul. It's your life's works. It's what I did throughout my life um, that defines who I am. But the spirit, that's the part that I read earlier that God manifested in man's heart. He has a spirit, and it's to worship something. And the spirit is the part of you that believes in God or not, believes in something else. Did you know that God is three in one? If you picture a triangle, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's one triangle, isn't it? But he's three in one. Note this, too. Everything from the very beginning in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything starts out as a blessing. And everything falls into judgment. And everything is redeemed or restored by the truth and by the one that's qualified to redeem or restore. And there's no peace. Man can't obtain peace on his own. He can't do something great to redeem or restore himself. He's, 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 everything's in a fallen state without, without God. That's why he's called, one of his names is the Prince of Peace. And there'll be no, no peace in this world. It'll only get worse until the return of the Prince of Peace. But man has a choice. If he didn't have a choice, he would have been made to be a robot, right? And he wasn't, I mean, he would have been made to love God. So doesn't it make sense that God would give us a choice so that we could choose this gift, choose to accept it? 
or reject it. I mean, none of us want to be made to do something, do we? The, the big picture, Adam and Eve, they were created. They were tempted by sin like you and I are tempted by sin. In this case, they were tempted of the devil. They fell to that temptation. There's a picture of man falling into sin, and they need to be restored by the one that's qualified to redeem, Jesus, the Son of God. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish in the seas and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. Created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. There you go. Man was created in his image and to have dominion over the earth. So, even the devil was created as a beautiful angel. And God's not just a God that's sitting up on a cloud, playing a harp. He's a, a God that has a governmental order. There goes my phone there. Turn it off. If you, once you get into the Word of God, if you'll... If you look at some things, the word speaks of heaven, but it also speaks of the kingdom of heaven. And we have a tendency just to read through words and think those are two of the same things. But there's a kingdom of heaven, a ruling and reigning, a governmental order. So in this big picture, man fell, Satan falls, he wants to be like God. And, th and says that he can or thinks that he can. And so God, in his all-knowing, allows this to happen. And a lot of people ask those questions. Why does God allow so many things to happen? Well, he allows this to happen because it's, it's what really, it's where the intersection in the road of the, the, the subject matter of having that choice Satan thinks it's so he can be God himself. God allows it so man can either recognize the contrast between good and evil and between eternal life and eternal death. So there's an enemy that's created. There's this conflict for dominion. Satan and his fallen angels, they already have these crowns in these positions that they're reigning in, and they've fallen, and they're going to have to relinquish those crowns. So there's this battle that's going on. So Satan, if he can prevent you from believing in the Lord, and then you would experience eternal death, then you're out. You're out of the race. 
And let's say you have believed in the Lord. And he then, his objective is then to prevent you from obtaining one of his crowns or, one of, or part of his army that has those crowns. So he has an objective for the unbeliever and he has an objective for the believer. He currently reigns in the Bible. The Word of God says he currently reigns as the prince and power of the air. That's one of his names. And isn't that interesting? I think of, you know, the prince and power of the air here on earth as he reigns. If you think, you know, through the radio waves, through the computer, through the TV, there's so much trash. And I know there's some good things, but there's so much trash. And Satan, if you think about it, he's not going to come upon you in a red suit with his little ears and his fork and his long red tail. He's going to come in the most subtle fashion. Something that would desensitize you or dumb you down to where eventually you would accept it. And that's the part earlier when I said your enemy is created in three things. The world and the flesh and the devil. The flesh is the part that tempts you all the time. You're tempted to either go one way or the other. The world is what I was just saying about the things you become desensitized to, the world system. And all of a sudden they appear to be normal and we justify them to be normal. And the devil... He's real. And he's called the prince and power of the air. And he has an objective. But fallen man is full of sin and he needs a savior. And his heart is wicked. And yes, the word of God says we're to love thy neighbor as we love ourselves. But it's also written in the word of God in Romans 3.10. It says, as it is written... It's recorded here. It's the Word, the God Almighty speaking. There is none righteous. No, not one. No, not one is righteous. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In the book of John 12, in 44, Jesus cried and said, He, and by the way, you want to know what you believe or if you believe the right thing or not? Here it comes. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Did you hear that? If you believe on Jesus, you believe on God who sent him. He is God. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. If you see Jesus in these words and believe upon him, then you believe the God that sent him. He said, I, I am come a light into the world. And whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but I came to save the world. So you want to know why 
God did this. He came to save us and to redeem us and restore us. I keep going back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And did you see that? And the earth was without form. It became without form. God creates everything perfect. It became without form. And if you get on into the Word, you'll see it's when the devil and his angels fell. But the next verse, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's a picture of Jesus right there in the very beginning. And we just read it right here um, in this last verse. I am come a light into the world. 1 John 5, 7 says, for there are three. We were talking about God being Three in one, my country way of saying it. For there are three that bear record in heaven. That means there's three that witness the record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Word, this book, this manual. Jesus is the Word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So that's not me speaking now. That's, that's God Almighty that spoke. These three are one. So how do you know if you're saved? How do you know you're secure or if, or, or if your eternal destiny is secure? It becomes more simple than it is. 1 John 5.10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God has made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave his Son and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things I have written unto you that believe upon the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he'll hear us. If you're not sure, you can do it in your car, in your closet, in your garage. Cry out to God and ask him, Lord, prick my heart. If you're real, show me. 1 Corinthians 15.1 continues to clarify the simplicity of what this believing means. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved. That's the gospel, is this good news. That's what the word gospel means. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above 500 people, or 500 brethren, the word says, at one time, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, and after that he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. You remember the scripture said earlier, you know there's a God by the invisible things that God made. Right here in Ephesians 1.13 it says, in whom ye also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. And then you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. God has promised us, if you hear it and trust that it's true, the gospel of your salvation, which is the fact that God gave his only son and he died for us, enabling us to overcome death and hell, and it was a gift. And it was nothing that we can do, but I love that part. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And all the theologians and all of mankind, they can't interpret sealed any differently, even in the Greek or the Hebrew or whatever, English or any language. Sealed is sealed. And I thank God for that. But placing one's trust in God's Son is the only way. You know, you hear people, I had a Muslim guy that I was talking to this week. He thought, he believed that everybody, no matter what they believed or who they believed in, there was a highway that reached to the same destination. And, um, and there's so much error. And, why, and wouldn't Satan, if he has an objective to take you out or to take your crown or to keep you just in an idle state, then wouldn't he have the, the means to um, send us these counterfeit um, things that would distract us from the truth, things of error, different religions, different denominations, confusion, He's the great deceiver. But Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Ephesians 2 says, For grace, or for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, God's covered all the bases, all the thinking, 
all the error in our ways, it's, it's here in this manual, this instruction manual. So I would challenge you today to get it settled and believe. Do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe there's a Savior? The one that died for your sins? And God provided him as a free gift, his son. Paying your sin debt in full, what kind of gift is that? Allowing him to die. A pure and almighty God in the flesh dies for us. Our wicked, sinful flesh, he dies for us. And pays our debt off in full. And all we have to do is confess and believe upon the Son and the fact that he died for us and rose again and accept him or thereby accepting him by believing. But once it's settled, you need to remember it's sealed. And then now the race begins. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. But I would challenge you, once you settle it, know that it's sealed and never, ever doubt your salvation again. And that'll be when man will cause you to do that. Oh, it was in your head knowledge. You really didn't believe. You got to have a heart change. But get it settled. And can you fall away after salvation, back into sin? Yes. But can you lose your salvation once it's sealed? No. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it says, it it talks about the Israelites, and they were in slavery for 400 years. And Moses told them, that if they would apply the blood of a lamb over their doorpost, that a death angel would come through the city, and if and when it did, they would be saved, and they could then be free of slavery, or slavery, and and head towards the promised land. They applied that blood of a spotless lamb over the doorpost, and that's a picture of Jesus. God provided a spotless lamb. Jesus Christ, sinless, who died for us. And in the scriptures, it talks about them. And I'm going to read it in 1 Corinthians 10. It said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant how that all your fathers were under the cloud. God gave them this cloud to guide them, and so they, which was a miracle, and they, and they followed under this cloud. And all passed through the sea. Remember the story where they went through the Red Sea? God opened up the Red Sea and it parted. And they ended up on the other side. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased... For they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
Now these things were examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. They got on the other side. And the only reason I'm going to touch on this real quick. They got on the other side. And God told them to go on into the promised land. It's yours. Go take it. They spied out the land and saw it was full of giants and says, we can't do it. So they lost their faith in the God that they believed in who performed all these miracles for them. And then they started to murmur and complain and even lie about the, the, um, the report that the spies gave after spying out the land. And then they started saying, you know what, we were better off as slaves. We want to go back. But as I said earlier, there's power in this word and there's word pictures that confirm the things that we're talking about. But the Lord, it angered the Lord, and he did send them. They went out into the wilderness. But there's something in this, and I'm not, I would just challenge you to look at it on your own, to encourage you never to doubt your salvation. In Numbers 21 and Numbers 14, he sent them back out into the wilderness, but by the way of the Red Sea, it was impossible for them to go back across the sea, the Red Sea. And that's a picture that it's impossible to go back once they were resurrected and came out on the other side, it's sealed, and there's no going back. Now, did they wander around in the wilderness aimlessly in their, due to their faithlessness? Yes. So a believer can fall away. But I would challenge us, even as believers, the church isn't talking anymore about the Word of God talks about there's milk in this Word for like a babe. And it says to feed my lamb. And it talks about meat and strong meat, which is the next level up. And it says, the Lord says, feed my sheep. Because now it's something they can digest. And there's nothing worse than a babe. It'd be like being on the, or an adult being on the milk. Like an adult being on their mother's breast. We're to go on. And not laying again, in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, it says, not laying again the foundation of repentance of dead works. Yes, we're to repent and become out of a dead state and believe in the Lord. But this verse says that after that, you don't go lay that same foundation. You're to move on. It's where we're to go from here. In the last couple years, we visited a lot of churches through different things. And the church is continuing to recruit the saved. And I know there might be somebody in the flock that needs to be fed that might not be saved. But a lot of time it's the flock that's sitting there that needs to be fed milk and meat and strong meat. Lately, I've witnessed, I witnessed a man not that long ago and a lady, she was out of seminary school, been there four years, and, and um, the pastor challenged the whole flock and says, most likely, more than half of you aren't saved. And he challenged them based, based on their works. And our works don't save us. There's not a work, I've already read it to you, that's worthy to save us. It's a gift. And I witnessed people, in my mind, getting resaved. And there's pictures in these examples 
that are in the word. Where Moses struck the rock once was a picture of Jesus, the rock, being crucified, stricken. And then the Lord told Moses to speak to the rock, which is where to pray to him. And Moses got angry and struck it again. And it's a picture of asking the Lord to save you again. It angered God, and there was great ramification of that sin. Aaron was stripped of his position and died. Moses was denied going on into the promised land. My hopeful one is, once you get it settled, let's move on and get into the Word and start to digest the meat of the Word and some strong meat. But do you need more proof about the Bible and whether it's true or not? You know, hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, God had spoken many prophecies about his coming. And he spoke them through men like Moses, David, Isaiah, Micah. And in order for Jesus to be the true Messiah, he had to fulfill every prophecy that was ever spoken or written. And he did. Every single one. And here's just a few. It was written that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah. This was 742 years beforehand. And he was born of a virgin. And it records it in Matthew 1.18. It was written that he would be born in Bethlehem 700 plus years before he was. And he was born in Bethlehem. And that was recorded in Matthew 2. It was written that he would be taken into Egypt 740 plus years. And he was, and it was recorded in Matthew 2. It was written that he would heal the sick and make the people whole 740 or 712 years before he came to earth in the flesh, and he did. In Matthew 8, it was recorded. It was written that he would die for our sins. In Isaiah 53 is where it was written, 700 plus years before it happened. And he did, and it happened. And it was recorded in John 1 and John 11. It was written he would be raised from the dead in Psalms 16. And he was, and it was recorded in Matthew 28. The many prophecies about Jesus' second coming, the Lord coming soon, have not been fulfilled, but one day they will be, every single one of them. And in celebration of his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and anticipation of all that we had to look forward to when he returns. Jesus gave the greatest gift of all, and it's free. And it's a gift, meaning your works don't earn it. All you have to do is accept it, thereby believing upon the Son of God. 
So that's something for us to think about and ponder for the Christmas holidays. And I would just challenge you to get it right. Revelation 3 3 says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast to these things you've received and heard, and repent. For if for therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come. If you're not watching, he's saying, I will come as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will become I will come upon thee. Where do we go from here? looking out ahead with a singleness of sight, watching for the coming king. And he's coming soon. The Bible has story after story to prepare thyself as a bride prepares herself for a bridegroom, for a wedding, for a great wedding feast. Where do we go from here? We run as if one receiveth the prize. Revelations 22, 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's a Merry Christmas. That's a true gift. It's the one and only gift that has any meaning to it at all. You know, James 4.14, God asks a question, and then he gives you the answer. Or he makes a statement. Then he asks a question, and then he gives you the answer. He says, since you don't know what's on for tomorrow, ask yourself, what is your life? And he gives you the answer, and it says, it's even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. So whether you believe the Lord's coming soon or not, our life is a vapor, and it comes and goes, and then you die. And we've all asked ourselves that question, where am I going to go when I die? I challenge you, as a believer or an unbeliever, As an unbeliever, get that settled. That's where it all begins. And as a believer, I challenge you to seek maturity and growing in the Word. And either way, we can all draw near to our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. Thank you guys for having me. And um, I consider it an honor and a blessing to have been here.